Okay, so we have today and next week for this Light the Path series, and then we'll move on to a, to a new thing. This series has been all about single verses. Of course, we use other verses to expound on them, but single verses that Lisa and I ha- have just called life verses in our life. We can apply these verses to almost every situation and see instant fruit. So we've already been through James 3.16, where there's envy and strife, there's confusion, And every evil work, you know, as a believer, you have the mind of Christ. He's never confused. Jesus is never confused. Uh, As a believer, you have authority over every evil work, right? So if I'm a believer and I can see in my life there's some evil works happening, sickness, disease, confusion, uh, depression, things like that, we can trace it back to envy and strife. Get envy and strife out of your life then you'll get confusion and evil works out of your life. We talked about Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. When I start getting news updates and they start to make me feel uneasy or I start to get into fear because of things I'm seeing in the world or maybe in my own family, I go back to Isaiah 26, 3. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. If my mind is stayed on God, I will have perfect peace. So it's like a little check. Check and balance. Oops, I'm a believer. I don't feel perfect peace. Got to get my mind back fixed on the Lord and what he says. You can apply that to every situation and see instant fruit, right? So the last two weeks, well, as yesterday, last Sunday and today, we are talking about Romans 8, 28. And I gave you a whole lot of context last week. And we tore down this uh, common belief that some people teach from Romans 8, 28, that Everything that happens to you is good and that God allows it. We tore all that down. So if you want like to hear more about that, go listen to last week's message. The very quick review is that a lot of people use stories like the story of Job. And as they read Romans 8, 28, that says, God is able to make all things work for the good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. And they interpret that the wrong way. And they say, this means that everything that happens to me is good. And God has a reason for everything that happens. People say these common phrases a lot. Well, God knows more than us. Where do you get that? Right? The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. Right? There are mysteries that maybe our minds will not be open to until we're beyond this life. In fact, I know that. But when it comes to the way the word works, when it comes to his promises, There's nothing he has withheld from us. We don't have to sit around and wonder, is this thing that I'm going through from God or not, right? If it's bad, it's not. John 10.10 says that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give life and life abundantly. There should be no confusing in that, right? But then people take verses from Job where he says, the Lord gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And they make theologies about it and they sing songs about it, completely ignoring the fact that a few chapters later, God says, Job, everything you said about me was wrong. And Job says, you're right. I tear my clothes in repentance. Job repented of the phrase he said that people make theologies about. God does not take away. In fact, the gifts of God come and there's no sorrow added to them, is what it says in Proverbs. Good things are from the Lord. Romans 8.28 does not mean that everything that happens to you is good. How many of you have had something bad happen to you in your life? You can raise your hand. Raise them. Let's raise them. If you've had something bad happen to you, let me tell you, it wasn't the Lord. If it was bad, it wasn't the Lord. Maybe it was the enemy. Maybe it was just a fallen world. Maybe it was our own mistakes. 
But here's the good news from Romans 8, 28. God can take everything that happens to you and work it for your good. There is some involvement needed on our part. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. Three requirements for the believer to see all things work for your good. They are in plain black and white in Romans chapter 8. Remember last week we had a little grammar lesson that this verse, Romans 8, 28, starts with a conjunction. Like three people said it. Romans 8, 28 starts with a That means it joins two things. So we can't just start the sentence off, read the conjunction, and not go see what was behind it. So the first requirement is actually before Romans 8, 28. This is where we are jumping in to brand new material. We're going to talk about these three things for the next 20 minutes probably. And uh, I believe we can get some revelation and things in your life right now that are not working for your good. You can apply this. And before you go to sleep tonight, Maybe on the surface, things will look the same. But on the inside, you have begun the process that allows the Lord to begin to move and work all things for your good. You know, the children of Israel, we can learn a lot from them. They were under a different covenant than us, right? They didn't have Jesus. This was before Jesus. This was before their sins were forgiven by Jesus. They had to go through all these sacrifices. But you know, so many things in the wilderness as they made the trek, the 40-year journey, which should have taken about 12 days, from Egypt to the promised land, the 40 years, they saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Yet every time they saw a miracle, they began to doubt that God would come through. Even though he parted the sea, they could literally with their physical eyes see his presence in a cloud during the day and a fire at night. Do you know, they would camp until the Spirit of God, in the form of either a fire or a cloud, would rise up out of the temple and then begin to move, they would follow it. Can you imagine seeing these things with your own eyes? They were fed every morning by bread or manna that just showed up on the ground. When they wanted meat, quail came out of the woods. When they were thirsty, water came from the rock. Yet they doubted God at every turn. And it says in the book of Hosea, they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited him. And even though we're under a different covenant, we can limit God. Yes, we have an unlimited God, right? But he will not overstep the boundaries that he's created for us. He did not want a bunch of puppets or minions walking around constantly having no part in our own decisions. No, God wants love, right? God created us to love him. And that is the one thing on earth that cannot be forced, right? If we were just God's puppets, we could never actually know love, which is his greatest desire for us. So he's given us free will. And by our wrong thinking and our negative actions and behavior, we limit what God can do in our life. But Romans 8, 28, Romans 8, the whole chapter, Paul is telling us, here are three ways you can unlock the Holy Spirit in your life and begin to see him. Basically, you're giving him permission to go out, to go in and work everything in your life that's not going right for your good. It's really good news. So we got three requirements. We're going to go backwards to find the first one. Remember that conjunction. And we'll read Romans 8, 28 here. And... uh, Then we'll go back. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God 
and are called according to his purpose for them. So as we go backwards, let's go all the way to Romans 8, 26. Ready? Here we go. Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us, believers, in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. So the first thing we read here, the first requirement, is you have to allow and partner with the Holy Spirit in your life. Right? The Holy Spirit is inside of every believer. We have a three-part God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is on the inside of every believer. And as you partner with Him, you will begin to see God working all things for your good. So what does it mean to partner with the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul gives us one example right here I'm about to talk about. There's lots of ways. Paul gives us one example. Let's start with what he says. He says, pray with groanings that cannot be understood. There's no misinterpreting this. He's talking about praying in tongues. Can you understand tongues with your own head? Not really. Not unless you have an interpretation and you ask the Lord to give you the interpretation. Tongues are a real gift and they're not weird. For the Christian, it should be more weird to not pray in tongues than it is to pray in tongues. This should be so normal. As soon as the Holy Spirit descended upon the apostles in the upper room, immediately they began to pray in tongues. You notice they began to pray in tongues before they began to spread the gospel. They began to pray in tongues before they had Holy Communion. They began to pray in tongues before they did anything else. They got filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately they started speaking and praying in tongues and everybody thought they were drunk. And they said, no, 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 we're drunk. It's only nine in the morning. We didn't even have time to get drunk. That's what they were saying. There wasn't even enough time for us to get drunk. We're Drunk in the Holy Ghost. We are speaking in tongues. So that is a gift for every believer. That is, uh, and if you want to read about it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are for every believer. There's some misunderstanding about speaking in tongues. In fact, I experienced something a few weeks ago that was kind of funny. Uh, I was in line getting some coffee for, for me and Lisa and the kids. They weren't with me. They were waiting in the car. And I was in line and uh, a, lady, a girl I went to high school with, I see periodically around town, was behind me in line, and she was waiting for her coffee, and I was waiting for mine, and she said, hey, I got a question. And I said, yeah. And she goes, does your church speak in tongues? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. We, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's one of my favorite gifts of the Holy Spirit. She goes, man, I always wish I had that one. And I said, oh, you know what you do? That's good news. You do. It, it's on the inside. You just got to do it. You got to move your mouth and pray in tongues. And, and she said, no, 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 I don't have that gift uh, I've asked God for it so many times, and he's never given it to me. And I said, do you think, do you feel like he's going to move your mouth for you? And like, because you've just never felt it happen, you don't have it because you actually have to do it. You know, I said, the word says that one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life is self-control. God will never force you to do anything. He's not going to go against his own word that says you have self-control. You have to pray in tongues, and, and you do have that gift. And she looked at me very sternly, and she goes, no, I told you I don't. I know that you believe that. Some people believe that. But people like me just don't believe that we have that gift. And, and I said, oh, I was just telling you like Bible verses. I was just telling you what the word says. And she goes, but that's not what I believe. She said, do you understand me? She's like, a lot of people don't believe that. And I was like, 
all right, this conversation might be done, all right? Conversation might be done. When you're just telling somebody what the word says, I'm not telling you my opinion, and you're interrupted with, that's actually not what I believe. Well, okay, that's, that's an issue. Uh, that's an issue, and we don't have to continue this, right? But, I mean, the word says you have this gift. You just got to move your mouth and do it. I got an awesome testimony from a few weeks ago during worship. There was somebody here that didn't come up for prayer, didn't ask somebody to pray for him just for the first time ever during worship. He began to pray and sing in tongues and was baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's an awesome gift. And Paul says, as we pray in the Holy Spirit, God is set free to begin to work things for our good. Why? Well, Paul even tells us that in these two sentences. He says that when we pray in the Holy Spirit, think about what I'm saying. Pray in the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is actually praying for us. Now, if you had a choice between your own prayers or praying the actual prayers of the Holy Spirit, what would you choose? I would choose the Holy Spirit every time because sometimes my brain doesn't even know what I need to pray for. I don't even know how to fix this and what to pray for, right? Well, the Holy Spirit will pray for you, and you'll partner with him as you begin to pray in tongues. If you've never prayed in tongues before, don't let today go by without doing it. We'll have some prayer ministers up here at the end of service. Come up and get some prayer. It's not, uh, it's not something that you have to hold your breath and, and hope it happens. No, you just, you'll be free to do that today for the first time if you've never done that. And, and that's the first requirement. Partner with the Holy Spirit. Now, you can also partner with the Holy Spirit uh, by just listening to his direction and saying yes to the areas and the places he leads you to go. We don't have to be on our own making decisions. If you are at a fork in the road in your life, you don't have to sit there and weigh the pros and cons of every area. You don't have to sit there and try to think your best thoughts about the benefits of going down this road, the benefits of going down that road. As a believer, you can simply Ask the Holy Spirit and listen to his direction. And it says in the word, you can hear his voice clearly on the inside like a whisper, right? There's also other ways to hear the Holy Spirit. I could talk to you for hours about how to hear the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you how it happens mostly in my life is not always so much words saying go down the left road, go down the right road. It's just being led by peace. Right? That's a way the Holy Spirit leads you and directs you. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule. In other words, when you are in tune to the Lord as a believer and the Holy Spirit, and you have two decisions ahead of you, some people call it following their gut. As a believer, call it following the Holy Spirit because that's what it is. When you don't know why, but you just don't have peace about this path and you have peace about this one, that's the Holy Spirit leading you through peace. Let the peace of God rule. You can just say yes, like you heard him sitting beside you in your ear saying, take this path. That's partnering with the Holy Spirit. So two ways to partner with the Holy Spirit so far. Pray in tongues. Number two, listen to his direction and take his direction and say yes to it whether that's by hearing a voice or by hearing peace or experiencing peace, feeling peace, follow that. Third way is this great word, and that is co-laboring with the Lord, co-laboring with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. I have planted, Apollos watered. This is Paul writing. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
So neither is he that plants anything, neither is he that waters, but God gives the increase. Now he that plants and he that waters are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor, for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. There's another translation that says we are co-laborers with God. Co-laborers, working with him. Working, that means he has a part to play and we have a part to play. That's this entire message about Romans 8, 28. When we play our part and God plays his, we will see all things work together for the good. Sometimes we play our part simply by remaining standing and not quitting. Sometimes just not quitting is all the co-laboring needed on your part. There was a Sunday morning I will never forget. There's at least 10 people in this room that remember this Sunday. It was probably mid-90s, and my dad, who was our pastor and founded this church with my mom, stood up here, and after worship was over, he opened his Bible, closed his Bible, and said, all right, that, that's it. I, I'm, I'm quitting. This is it. This is our last Sunday. We won't be back next week. Uh, I don't want to do this anymore. And we're not going to have a church anymore. I love you guys. As he's talking and quitting, uh, Mama Prieto, we called her, it's a little, little lady. She must have been 112. And I think she's still alive, which means she's like 150. But she made her way, shuffled down the middle row, and my dad wore ties and stuff. And she grabbed his tie while he was talking and quitting and pulled him down close. I'd never heard her speak English ever. She only spoke Spanish, but she pulled him down and she said, you are my pastor. I'll see you next Sunday at 1030. You're not quitting. <laughs> and he stood up straight and he opened his Bible and he goes, all right, let's get to this message and we'll be back next week. <laughs> he didn't quit. He didn't quit. And he preached in the pulpit of this church until the day he passed away. And now our church is reaping so many benefits and reaping such a great harvest on just simply him not quitting and Mama Prieto not letting him. We had this entire property paid off within a few years of, of Lisa and I stepping in as lead pastors. I mean, we've been pastoring now for seven years, and I think we've been four of them now, completely debt-free as a church, completely free to give to all these awesome partners, right? That is a benefit of him just not quitting. That is the Lord taking a negative situation. Things were rough here for a little while. I've told you all this before, but there were a few Sundays back in the 90s where we had more people on the worship team than in the congregation. Y'all think I'm joking when I say it, but I am not. I mean, like, we counted. I counted. I'm like, there's a lot of people on the stage and only a few out here, right? I remember those days. But the Lord, even before my dad died, took those situations and worked them for his good and for our church's good. Me and my dad were on staff together for a good 13 years before he passed away. We weren't on, I wasn't on staff with him here at church when that happened, but he didn't quit. We got to work together as father and son for over a decade. It was awesome simply because he didn't quit. The word laborer in this chapter, the word laborer, co-laborer, I love that the definition of the word laborer means an unskilled worker. You don't have to be very skilled to co-labor with God. He's the skilled one. Paul even said, I planted, Apollos watered. Can you plant and water? Here's an example. I put some seeds in the ground. Apollos came behind me and put some water. Somehow this thing grew. That was God. 
That's a miracle. Do you know when you put a seed in the ground and life sprouts from it? It's miraculous. You might know how to drop a seed. You might know how to put it in the right area to get sunlight, but it is a miracle. Even scientists who don't believe in God will say life is a miracle. I heard this great, uh, I heard this great phrase. This is an evolutionist guy talking. He's not a Christian. He was an evolutionist. And I just, a clip of him uh, came up on my Instagram feed or something recently. And he said, science makes a whole lot of sense. And evolution makes a whole lot of sense as long as you have the faith to believe in one miracle. And I was like, all right. He said, the miracle of life. If you can believe that life just miraculously began, then evolution makes so much sense. And he's like, that's what I subscribe to. One miracle and then science. Man, sounds good to me. Why not? Not evolution, but man, one miracle, right? God spoke and there was life. God spoke. I like it. Even the greatest evolutionists say, well, it all comes back to one miracle. That's pretty good. All right, so we don't have to be skilled laborers to partner with God and to be his co-laborers. All we got to do is know how to drop a seed in the ground, put some water on it, and then God brings the life. You know what this reminds me of is the promised land. Already talked about the children of Israel. You know, in the wilderness, they really didn't have to do anything. They woke up and they were fed. They were thirsty and water came from a rock. There were times other armies came against them and there was times they fought and won a battle. There was also times they just sent out the worship team and they played music and the other armies killed each other, right? In the wilderness, they kind of lived this miracle-to-miracle lifestyle as they entered the promised land. You know, the first thing they started having to do was plant their own seeds, was till their own fields, was, was, was fight their own battles. But there was a difference. In the promised land, God brought the increase. You plant the crops, and I'll bring the increase. In fact, once they got there, he said, in the eighth year, don't plant anything. And in the seventh year, I'm going to give you an abundant harvest. Nothing you do different, but every seven years, I'm going to give you a triple harvest so you can eat the seventh year, you can eat the eighth year, and then you can still eat the tenth year as your new crops are growing. So there was no science behind it. God said, just do what I'm saying, and I'll bring the increase. As a New Testament believer, we have promises that what we put our hands to will prosper. So we put our hand to something as a laborer, and then our co-laborer, God, brings the increase. And there's so many of us who aren't seeing the abundance of God in our life because we're sitting around waiting for, I don't know, a windfall of cash to just show up in our drawer one day or show up in our mailbox. I mean, I'm not trying to condemn you because I've probably been there too, but I bet some of us have prayed, Lord, when I open that mailbox, please turn all the bills into cash, right? If you ever prayed anything like that, we can laugh now, but we kind of have prayed those prayers, Lord, I need you to send me some money, right? The Bible does not say God will send you money, ever. It says he's given you the power to get wealth that you can establish his covenant because you're co-laborers. You're co-laborers. Put your hand to something and watch God bless it. It can be your own business. It can just be the job you have, the nine to five. Put your hand to do your job in an excellent way. Watch God bring the increase and watch him begin to promote you. Watch him begin to promote you through the company. Open up new doors. You have a co-laborer, and he's the skilled one. Remember last week, we, we went back to our, my kids, actually, actually my sister's generation, the Bob the Builder. The, the phrase was, can we fix it? And everybody says, yes, we can. 
But I like to remember that we're the unskilled laborers and we're partnering with the one who can fix it. So it actually builds my faith to have a new response, a new chant. Can we fix it? No, we can't, right? So can we fix it? No, we can't. One more time. Can we fix it? No, we can't. Thank you, God. You're our co-laborer and he can fix it. We have to put our hand to something. We got to plant the seed and watch God bring the increase. This is going to be a word for somebody. I actually think more than, more than a couple people. It's not your job to save anybody. And you're believing for loved ones to come to, to know Jesus. You're believing for people and you're praying for them. And I believe some people and maybe some people in this room carry a heavy burden because this person doesn't know the Lord, because this, this person hasn't received Jesus yet. Just let me tell you, that's not your job. Just keep loving them. Keep telling them the word. Keep responding in love and watch the Holy Spirit begin to draw those people through you or maybe through somebody else. But don't carry a heavy burden because I just haven't got them saved yet. Not your job. Keep loving them. Keep giving them the word. Watch your co-laborer do things in their heart. You can never do I don't know if you could ever argue somebody into salvation. I know that there's whole big YouTube channels devoted to apologetics and out explaining other people. And I just don't know if anybody gets saved from that. But maybe they do if you're doing it in love. It has to be in love or it's just gibberish. But I'm not going to limit the Lord and say it doesn't work. But I know whatever you're doing, whether it's telling somebody what they believe is wrong or just loving them, it's got to be done in love. And as you walk in love, your co-laborer will do things in people's hearts that you just can't do. So the first requirement to see God work all things for your good is partnering with the Holy Spirit. You can do it through praying in tongues, by listening to His direction, and by co-laboring with God, remembering that you just got to keep going, keep putting your hand to things, and watch the Lord bring the increase. The second requirement from Romans 8, 28 he is able to make all things work for the good for those who love God. Second requirement, you got to love God, right? Love God. If you're a believer, I imagine you do. It's also good to remember love is two different kinds of speech. It can be a noun. It can be a verb. Love is, yes, it's an emotion. It's a feeling. We can love God. It's also an action. We love through action in a lot of ways. And let me tell you, God's love is never about our actions, but when we love him with our actions, honestly, it causes that other kind of love, that affection to grow even deeper. It causes that other affection to grow and to burn even brighter. So those who allow the Holy Spirit to partner with them, those who love God, when love becomes an action, it causes our affection to increase, right? However, don't get that twisted and think you got to do something to make God love you. He loves you because you are you. He loves you because you're breathing. He loves you because you're alive, and he is love. He is perfect love incarnate. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that one, uh, but love God is the second requirement. And the third requirement here, and this is what we'll close with, uh, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Called is also about action, right? This isn't just about some kind of metaphysical, I've been called to great things. This part of the verse is about action. Those who are called and living and acting 
according to his purpose, which has two sides. Partnering with his purpose, which in John 10, 10, I've already said it once, we know is to give life and life abundantly. And actively coming against the enemy's purpose, which is to still kill and destroy. The reason I spent last week breaking down this myth that, uh, that everything that happens in our life is good or that God allows it or that it's God's purpose when bad things happen is because if you attribute what God is doing, if, if you attribute things the enemy is doing in your life to God, you are not likely to fight those things, right? You're not likely to fight those things. You're likely just to lay down and say, well, if God is doing this, I'm just going to let it happen and wait and see the lesson I need to learn. I talk about sickness a lot uh, because I, I, I hate it so much. And the Bible says that as part of our salvation, sickness was defeated, right? The word salvation, if you've been here for more than a few weeks, hopefully you know this, but in the New Testament, the word salvation has three parts, not just one. The one people focus on the most, forgiveness of sins. It also means deliverance from your enemies and healing from your diseases. That is what that word means, and that is what our salvation includes, right? So as much as we talk about uh, forgiveness of sins, I probably talk about being healed from our sicknesses just as much. I just hate sickness so much, and I know it's attacked some people in our church this week, and we spent some time this morning coming against that. Use your authority. Speak to it. Don't give in to it, right? Don't give in to it. Because being called to God's purpose means you are actively resisting what the enemy is doing in your life. Not just sitting around and saying, well, I'll just let this pass. Don't just let it pass. Fight it. Fight it with everything you have. James, uh, what is James 1, 7 says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If somebody comes up to you and they're attacking you in real life, you got to do something. You got to at least start blocking, right? You're going to fight back. You're going to fight back. You're not, if somebody comes up to your family and attacks your family, hopefully you're not just going to let it happen. Hopefully you're not so non-confrontational. You just back down and say, oh yeah, just let me know when you're done. Let me know when you're finished. So uh, I'd like to shake your hand, sir. No, you're going to fight back if somebody's coming against you. Let me tell you, you have an enemy who is real and he's out to steal kill, and destroy. And if you have any of those things working in your life, you have to actively come against them. And as you resist, as you come against those things, and you'll begin to see it all work for your good. These are the requirements that Paul lays out right here all in this one chapter. So how do you resist? Well, next week, you're going to hear a whole lot about how to resist. I will go ahead and tell you this much. The best way to resist the enemy is by going to the word, right? We talk about it every week, all the time. It comes up in every message I preach. You have to know the word, not just hear it, right? Not just know it exists. You got to know it. And actively resisting the enemy, at least in the very beginning stage of resisting, is saying, hey, I'm starting to feel sick right now, but I know that this isn't from God. I've been healed of my sicknesses. 1 Peter 2.24 says, by his stripes I'm healed. Isaiah 53.5 says, he was wounded for my transgressions, pierced for my iniquities, the chastisement of peace was upon him, and by his stripes I'm healed. Isaiah 54.17 says, no weapon formed against me will prosper. 
just throwing scripture in the face of the enemy. Sometimes, and really all the time, when it comes from this place of authority and belief, he's going to run. He's going to run. There's lots of, there's other ways that you're going to hear about, all about resisting the enemy. But it always is going to come back to the word. And if you don't know what the word says about certain situations, you can Google it, look it up, begin to quote it. Eventually, though, you got to have it in your heart. You got to have it in your heart because you got to know it. You got to come against what the enemy's doing. If you sit around and think, well, maybe this trial is from God, you're not likely to resist it. I say this a lot, but it makes me laugh. I see people taking medicine and they're like, man, I wonder what God wants to teach me through this sickness. And I'm like, are you directly coming against his will by trying to get better with this medicine? I mean, if you really believe it's from the Lord, you wouldn't be taking it. I don't think most people believe that things like that are from God. Yet, because of things we've heard, because we just heard somebody say this when we were a kid one time, we latch on to these things like theology or something. But if we just go to the word for ourselves, we'll see what the Lord says. We'll see what the word says. Jesus, you won't find one time with him putting sickness on somebody. You won't find one time when he left somebody in their sickness or, or even in their depression. He came against this and he healed everybody. You know, the one time we, we see where he didn't do miracles is the word says he couldn't do many miracles in his hometown. Not he wouldn't. Not he wouldn't. It's a huge deal. He couldn't. Remember that verse from Hosea? They limited the Holy One of Israel by their thinking. People, there was people that limited Jesus and what he could do in their lives when he walked the earth. But he was willing to heal everybody that came to him. And he still is. Not only is he willing, he did. We just got to come into agreement with it. You know, I, I like to think of it like this. If you're saved, you believe in Jesus, that means you've been forgiven of your sins. There is a part of you on the inside, you can call it your spirit, that is 100% right with God no matter what you do. Sometimes in our flesh, we make mistakes, we sin. Yet because we've been forgiven, that part of us, our spirit is 100% right with God as a saved person, it's our job to let, to let our spirit that's perfect begin to influence our actions. And as we allow our spirit to influence our actions, our actions will begin to line up with who we are. Forgiven, saints, not nasty sinners. The same thing with healing. Healing is 100% true of our spirit. There's no sickness in there. But as a saved person, we got to allow that healing on the inside of us to influence the outside of us. It's that simple to me. To me, it's that simple of a process. Just like we have to allow salvation to influence our actions, we got to allow the healing that was paid for by Jesus to influence our actions. So as I invite the band up to close, I'm just going to go over and review these three things without going into detail. If you want more of the detail, listen to the message again. It'll be out there. I'll send you my notes if you want because I got... Very detailed notes uh, with typos and everything. I'll send them straight to you. And you can laugh at spelling and all these things if you like. But in Romans chapter 8, Paul says, God is able to make all things work for the good. That means all things. Whether you have something that's wrong in your life because of the enemy, because of Satan, or whether it's your own mistakes, or whether it's just because we live in a fallen world, whatever is happening to you and around you, 
God can make it work for your good. And according to Romans chapter 8, he can do it as long as we are partnering with the Holy Spirit, which could include praying in tongues, which could include listening to his voice and direction with every decision we make. When we love God and when we co-labor with him. I know that co-laboring and I'm co-laboring and being called according to his purposes are, are very similar. But as we co-labor with him, we will actively resist the things the enemy is doing. And we will actively partner with what God is doing. I might have said that wrong. I'm going to say it one more time just in case. Partnering with the Holy Spirit, which is co-laboring. Love the Lord and called according to his purposes. Those are the three things, according to Paul in Romans chapter 8. If we are doing those, then we are taking the limits off of God and giving the Holy Spirit permission to work things in our favor that have no business working in your favor, right? Causing him to, to take moments that are just moments, but turn them into being in the exact right place at the exact right time. I can tell you story after story of just regular moments in mine and Lisa's life that turned into life-altering moments simply because we allowed the Lord to do something in that moment. Thank you, Jesus. Man, he wants the best for you so much. He gave his life so that you could experience the best. He rose from the dead so that you could experience life. I was just, I was cutting my grass yesterday and I was listening to some worship music and I just had this image. I was thinking about the tomb that they laid Jesus in. This might come up again over the next few weeks with it being Easter, but I just thought about that phrase like all all eyes on you. Like every angel, every demon, probably just like staring at that body. Every angel waiting for the third day and every demon hoping it just doesn't happen. I just thought about Jesus' body wrapped up, right? And whatever those grave clothes looked like, I just thought about that moment when every demon just freaked out because they just saw that, that breath, maybe, right? You imagine that first breath after three days in the ground and every demon just, oh, no. They wouldn't even have heard it. They just have seen his chest maybe just move a little. That's a good moment. I've been thinking about that since yesterday. Jesus' second first breath. He didn't have to say anything, I bet. Just every angel rejoiced, every demon run. You got that same breath in your lungs. The exact same breath is in your lungs. The exact same promise is the exact same authority he walked with. And don't give it up by just simply turning over and allowing the enemy to have any place in your life. You got the authority. You have the authority. Thank you, Jesus. Let's all stand. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for your word, and we thank you that's going to work in our lives today. Amen. So let's respond to the word with just a few moments of worship here. Just all of our focus, all of our attention on Jesus. Then I'm going to come back up and invite prayer ministers up and close out this service.